Your company's future success demands agile, flexible, and resilient operations. I'm Daphne Luchtenberg, and you're listening to McKinsey Talks Operations, a podcast where the world's C-suite leaders and McKinsey experts cut through the noise and uncover how to create a new operational reality. Customer service continues to be a critical topic for businesses across sectors, where the prospect of delivering exceptional customer service is becoming table stakes. In previous episodes, we took a deep dive into the role of voice data analytics and looked at how contact centers were applying artificial intelligence to voice recognition to gain real competitive advantage. Today, we're going to take a more strategic view and to have a look at some of the myths that are prevalent today in customer care operations. We're joined by Julian Rabe, a partner in our Munich office, and Vinay Gupta, a senior knowledge expert from Walton. Both with a deep knowledge of customer care and experience, and you have both been looking at these prevalent myths through some recent research. Welcome. Great to have you here. Let's kick off the conversation. So, Vinay, it's no myth that customers expect simple, reliable customer service. But your view is that the way that companies are shaping their offering is based on myths about what customers need and want to get the right levels of service they're looking for. Tell me a bit about these myths and why are they prevalent? What's the value at stake? So misconceptions or myths exist when customer care leaders trying to imitate others without analyzing their own customer care data. They are making a lot of assumptions based on what others are doing. I'll give a couple of examples. One example is when customer care would set a service levels of 80-30. Basically, what it means is 80% of the calls needs to be answered in 30 seconds. But very few customer care leaders would analyze their own data and really trying to understand is the 80-30 the right service level or are they just using the benchmarks to define that service level. And these assumptions would have a lot of implications on cost for the contact center, employee satisfactions, and revenue. Julian, so let's tackle the first myth, which I, this one I loved being a, a consumer myself. The prevalent view is that customers want as many channels as possible to be able to be, reach out to you in order to talk to you, to share complaints, etc. Is that really true, though? Look, it might be true that customers want to have many channels to contact organizations. And our research also shows that there are some truths in that and that there needs to be a certain degree of diversification. But it's not true that the more channels you offer, the better it is for the overall experience or that overall there's even less contacts. We actually see the opposite. Organizations struggle to really combine all of these different channels and integrate in a consistent experience. And that's one of the core key success factors that we see if you offer different channels that are not seen as different spaghettis that you build within your organization, but that you integrate them into an overall experience. What does it mean? It means, for example, that you have to build some kind of platform that is below all of these channels, that is integrating the different requests and makes the organization able to follow a customer through the different interactions so that it becomes a consistent customer journey and not a set of different interactions that are somehow linked. So I always say we move from a multi-channel into a real omni-channel experience. So when you integrate new channels, it's very important that you design these channels typically as an, in an agile approach 
so that you think through what is the experience that you want to have, the experience you want to design. And then you think through what kind of channels are important, what are the right channels for a certain type of interactions. Got it. So rather than thinking about creating more channels to engage with your clients, better off to think about how can you connect the channels that you have to make sure you've got a common platform and can really think through this customer experience. Exactly. It's about the right amount of channels. Most organizations have naturally three to five channels from the start. For example, people write in, they write emails, sometimes even physical letters, they call, they go to the IVR chatbot. And so when you introduce new channels, I always challenge organizations, why don't you stop also some of these channels and really go with a set of channels that delivers the best experience in front of your customers? Got it. Really helpful. And that's a nice kind of pivot back, um, Vinay, to um, let's talk a little bit about IVR, interactive voice response. The prevalent idea is that this is now on its way out. But um, I think that's also one of our myths, right? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of uh, a lot of executive uh, believe that IVR is going to be a dead channel just because they believe contact center itself is going to be a dead channel itself, right? But our research has shown that over the past a uh, decade or so, uh, relevance of contact center has been increasing. And that's where the importance of IVR is, has also gone up. It's also true, many customers don't like to interact with interactive voice response because they have to navigate through multiple menu items. Sometimes it's frustrating to really understand what IVR is saying. Sometimes IVR does not recognize what customer is saying. But all of this is, is changing. What we are seeing is, in banking industry, telco, or utilities, more than 50% of their callers are engaging IVR uh, meaningfully, right? And, and there are multiple advantages from both organizations' point of view and from a customer point of view. Advantage number one could be if customer needs to resolve their basic inquiries, for example, where is my package or what is my balance, uh, IVR could serve as that channel to really answer those simple questions. The second Advantages, IVR can help customer route to the right agent without getting transferred too many times from one agent to another agent, right? Uh, and then third is, as Julian was describing, IVR can also play an critical role to really understand the context behind the conversation and then before handing that conversation to an agent, provide all the necessary context to an agent also. And then I think uh, IVRs um, would have a lot of great predictive capabilities and NLU capabilities down the line to even make customer experience better. Yeah. And I, I love this um, kind of concept of, of helping to triage the cases, right? And I imagine this is an area where natural language understanding, which is a concept that we introduced our listeners to some time back in one of our um, voice data analytics programs, that's going to start ad adding value in this realm too. There's a lot of improvement that has happened in natural language understanding capability space. IVR can understand the customer intent without customer have to navigate the complex menu option, which I just talked about. And, and a lot of companies have already implemented natural language understanding based IVR, where customer can say anything, they don't have to navigate the options and IVR would try to understand the intent. And on top of it, I think NLU is critical, but as we were discussing earlier, uh, omni-channel integration becomes a table stake so that you can pass on all that context, or all that information which you might have collected through that conversation to an agent. 
and that's where i think a lot of omni channel view a lot of advanced analytics predicting why a customer might be calling uh, would become equally critical fascinating okay let's look at another myth julian surely getting the phone picked up quickly is critical isn't it an important trigger for satisfaction look who would not laugh to have their phone picked up as quickly as possible when you call a line however we found when we looked at the research across 100 companies that actually it's by far not the most important trigger for great customer experience what we saw actually the biggest driver for customer experience is your ability to solve customer issues in the first contact what we call first call or first contact resolution when you look into it further if you wait for example longer than 2 to 3 minutes we see for many clients or for many organizations a certain drop where customer satisfaction suddenly becomes a lower so we see a cliff or a threshold and to understand that is utterly important to manage cost and experience got it vinay to build on what julian says i think organization need to take a hard look at uh, their existing data and try to understand what is where is that break point as we understand all of these interactions are very different from each other some of these interaction require you to respond as soon as possible so that's where i think looking at your customers interaction data in the past and really trying to understand which call types were highly correlated uh, with a lower average speed of answer and highly correlated with a higher satisfaction whereas which call types uh, was just mo- mostly about having the call resolved rather than waiting on the call so there has to be a balance of be these two and there's a downward implication if organizations are not able to get the right average speed of answer right because if you're trying to put a very low average speed of answer then what might happen is Uh, as an organization you might need to staff a lot of people uh, as compared to what you need and hence the cost will go up in the opposite side if you have a very high average speed of answer then what it means is you might have customer waiting for multiple minutes which is always a bad experience for the customer there's not a single average speed of answer every call type is different and for each call type you might have different average speed of answer targets mm. thanks vinay If you allow me, let me add one aspect that I always find very interesting. When we look at organizations that we work with and we look at the correlation between average time to answer and average handing time, the time that you spend on the phone with a customer, we actually see across many data points a positive correlation. And I had a lot of discussions with different leaders of care organizations about what is a root cause. And the first hypothesis always is okay, the people were waiting a long time in the line, so they were going to complain in the beginning and would say, "Hey, I was waiting so long." It obviously not only takes time, it also produces cost. But the more important one is actually what we realized that customers are finally getting through to an agent and they want to be absolutely sure the case is really solved because the thing that they really really want to avoid is that they're waiting another time 20 minutes in the line and this leads to a situation where people do not believe just for example an agent is kicking off a process that takes 10 minutes and after that 10 minutes the problem is solved they prefer to stay on the phone with the agent until they are absolutely sure it's done and this is difficult 
because it leads to an effect that when you're already under capacity constraints and you're not able to answer your phone more quicker, actually you create a longer, longer, longer backlog of calls because the people stay longer on the line with the agents. So it's a self-inflating effect and it's very hard to manage. Yeah, thanks for that, Julian. Really interesting getting that balance right. Hey, let's move on to another myth. This myth about outsourcing contact centers. It was always thought that when you outsource, you're going to just get a lower level of quality. Is that still the case? And what's the latest thinking in that? Yeah, like uh, I think there's a common misconception that if you outsource your contact center, customer experience score is going to drop down and the quality of the outcome is, is not going to be great, right? But based on our research, what we have found is there are many companies, in fact, who have partnered with PPOs and their customer satisfaction scores are at least equal to their in-house contact centers or sometimes even better. Another interesting thing we have found is different companies might be working with a similar set of outsourcers and they have completely different experiences even working with the same set of outsourcers. Thanks, Vinay. And, and Julian, so, so what have we learned about how to get that right? Look, also having worked a lot on the other side, I can tell from my experience, it's mainly three things that you need to make right and get right. One is the right partnership model and the right commercial model behind it so that you ensure that your incentives are the same as for the BPO provider. The second one is the right governance structure. We often see that organizations have visited their partners three to four times a year. They should really know what's happening. They should really go more often. They need to understand by listening to calls, sitting next to people. Because that's how you need to get a sense how everything works. And that's the only way how you can really work with the outsourced organization and ensure good quality. And then probably the last problem, especially over time, comes if a company is too reliant on one BPO. If you have only one BPO and this one is more or less covering most of your topics, then you also lose over time the sense of what good means. Over time process changes, over time practices changes, over time product change, it all leads to a situation where, for example, handling time, resolution quotas change. So what good means becomes more and more unclear. That's typically when we recommend a certain competition between BPOs, ideally on similar topics, so that you understand what good means. And then, for example, you can shift volumes between these players quarterly, monthly, or you have an team, internal team running against the external team base so you see who is performing better. Yeah. And it also will drive innovation, right, Julian? So you're always kind of trying to implement the, the best approaches. Another myth, which is the correlation between average handle times and first contact resolution. Does it take more time on a first contact to really deliver a higher resolution rate? That's actually my favorite one. Because this is what I hear more or less every time that I enter an organization. I'm told, oh, no worries, we can solve it, but we need 15, 20, 30% longer time. And I sit there and say, I don't believe so. And then we do the math. We look at people who have high first contact resolution rates. And we look at the same agents. What is their AHT? And I can tell you, there is no correlation between higher resolution and higher HT. Actually, what we understand is 
that it's much more important to understand what matters to the customer. And that way you can do it in a short or appropriate period of time. The second aspect is we know that people don't really like to be too long on the phone. If you have a customer for 30 minutes on the phone, I can tell you the customer won't appreciate, even if potentially in the end they got the result. If it's a 10 minutes call with the same result, they would always have a better appreciation and a better experience. That's why we have to train, as an organization, people on how they can find the proper and best solution. How they can be most effective then to help the customer. And how they can do it in a way that is empathic. And just to add on to Julian's point, I think if I just take a customer's hat, right? Uh, I would not want to be on a call for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. Uh, that is the last thing I would want. So from a customer point of view, they are also trying to get off the call as soon as possible uh, because they have other things to do. Uh, so that's where this entire phenomena of how can you handle the call in, in, in the shortest amount of time at the same time be very effective pretty much exists and a lot of organizations are already doing that. And that's also we've found that's a common myth in the operation. Yeah, Vinay. Um, so actually quite a few things that need to be kind of got right in terms of getting getting the balance right to meet customer needs. So far, we've talked about outsourcing. We've talked about the speed of answer. We've talked about channel choice. But why is it so important for organizations to think critically about the factors that relate to agent tenure, call types, the service level agreement, and defining KPIs? Vinay, you first. Yeah, and, uh, another common practice we are seeing a lot of operations and a lot of contact center organizations are following is having a similar set of standards for all kinds of agents. And that leads to a lot of dissatisfaction among agents and employees within the contact center. And if you just take a step back and think about, uh, there are multiple things happening. One is there are new hires who have just joined and they are learning about the contact centers and call types. It's not fair to comparing them with the, with the rest of the group because they, they have been into the place for multiple years. Second is depending on their shift as well, right? So for example, in the morning, there are different call types that could come in. And in the evening, again, there could be different call types. So, so there could be times during the month, during the week, during the day, where wait time is really high. And that high wait time sometimes leads to a little bit high frustration from the customer. So then as an agent, I might not have full control of what is the handle time and what is the right balance of handle time. So a lot of organizations miss these nuances and they try to like coach every agent using similar methods and similar kind of coaching templates, which is, which is not right. Yeah, thanks, Vinay. And uh, Julian, what are some of the best practices then to, um, to get this combination of things right? The core of it is to really understand in as much granular detail as possible what is the mix of certain agents or, for example, customer types, call types, and the aspects that are really relevant in the mix that an agent is handling. Also mirrored, obviously, with the tenure of an agent. In the end, for me, it doesn't matter if an agent is in the fourth quartile or in the second quartile. What matters is when we do coaching, when we try to make people better, are they developing? To do we see a positive trajectory? Because this is what it counts in the end. I believe everybody can develop. The only thing that worries me if this organization tells me, oh, we have people in the fourth quartile, they are not developing, and we do not believe that they can develop. 
Got it. Very interesting. So um, when it comes to the future then of the customer care center and the operation, Julian, what are in your mind some of the critical success factors? It's a very good question. I think one is obviously not falling into the trap of believing in a myth. And because they believe in one of the myths, it's not doing the right things for the organization. The second point is, I personally believe that technology analytics, speech analytics is one of the key enablers that we will see in the coming years that drives performance of organizations. And to say, it's not the customer facing that we directly have in mind that is replacing agents because of chatbots and so It's part of the answer. But what we actually see in a big opportunity that is widely untapped is how we enable agents to be more effective through real next best action to predict potential outcomes and helping agents to succeed in these. To use voice analytics at scale for coaching and training, also in real time, ideally. If we are really able to do that, I believe strongly that we will be able to uplift at scale the performance of customer care operations in the coming years. And also counter the effects that we see from the demand and supply gaps that we currently have. Yeah, got it. So really a fascinating challenge for, you know, creating the next generation of customer call centers and ensuring that we're meeting the needs of um, customers, which is absolutely still an area for huge competitive advantage. Thank you both for your time today. Thanks for your insights and your expertise. We've not only managed to put some of the common myths about contact center priorities to bed, but also covered how they can actually provide a better service. And that will answer real customer needs. You've been listening to McKinsey Talks Operations with me, Daphne Luchtenberg. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. We'll be back with a brand new episode in a couple of weeks. 